Hello, everybody. This is Tim Weisberg from Spooky South Coast. And before you listen to the following episode, I just wanted to address one thing very quickly. And that is that during this episode, while we are discussing the Star Child Skull with our guest Matthew Brownstein, you'll hear us mention Lloyd Pye, who is the owner of the Star Child Skull and the founder of the Star Child Project. When this was recorded, it was recorded on Saturday night, and then two days later on the following Monday evening, Lloyd Pye passed away. So uh, we will be referring to him during the course of the episode as if he was still with us because he was indeed at the time. But uh, our condolences go out to Lloyd's family and friends, and hopefully Matthew Brownstein and the Star Child Project will continue on with Lloyd's work. The supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does it. AM 1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Hey, we're back and so is my voice. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And man, it feels good to be able to talk. I can actually talk better tonight than I could this morning. Totally. You, weren't, you weren't here for the last show, Moniz. It was not pretty. How about if I turn your microphone on? Sorry. Now, you don't have a voice, <laughs> but this time it's my fault. Uh, yes, uh, for those who tuned into the last episode where we discussed the 50th anniversary of the John F. Kennedy assassination, uh, basically Matt Costa had to <laughs> take care of everything vocally because uh, I had nothing left after that day. When you're already losing your voice, six hours of radio in one day, oh. not a good idea. And, right. I, and I, I had some appointments between shifts, so I was doing a lot of talking in between, so it, it wasn't good. But now it's back. Mostly. You know, if I'm saying along in the car, I, I still can't get to the falsetto yet. <laughs> but it'll be there soon. But then again, you know, those who are out there listening with their... With their uh, that's their, what did their, it. The falsetto. You think that's what killed my voice? Yeah, I think so. Those who are out there listening right now, either on the radio or on podcasts later on, they've got their, you know, their, their Beats by Dre headphones right. like all the kids are wearing and their Skull Candies and all those headphones with the deep, rich bass tones are like... Oh, I like his voice like this. <laughs> Sounds a lot better. So I'm going to try and keep it low for you tonight. <laughs> How low can you go? Not that low, but we're going to be talking tonight with Matthew Brownstein about the Star Child Skull, which is something that we haven't really discussed here on the show. We've been on the air now. It'll be eight years next month. Next month marks our eighth anniversary. And uh, we will be... Uh, we have a whole bunch of things planned, hopefully, to recognize that anniversary, but we've never talked about the char- Star Child Skull for an entire episode. We will do that tonight with our guest, Matthew Brownstein, coming up in just a few moments. I do want to let everybody know, though, it's not our anniversary party yet. We're hoping to do one of those in 2014. But you can party with us this coming Friday night at Knuckleheads in New Bedford. It's going to be on Friday the 13th. What better night to have Oddfest 2013? We'll be there. Jeff Belanger will be there. 
Andrew Lake. So we'll have the Spooky crew and the Oddball crew kind of mingling together. The Legend Trips crew. I don't know. We're, it's all one big incestuous paranormal family. But we'll, <laughs> we're all going to be tied together uh, for this great event called Odd Fest. We did it last year. We did it up in Bellingham. And this year we're going to hold it down here on the south coast because, well, hey, that's where our audience is. And that's where we have the most reach. So we figured, hey, why not bring it down here? Instead of making everybody down here drive all the way to Bellingham, let's just make the one guy who lives in Bellingham drive all the way down here. So this is why we're doing it down this way. And we will be able to uh, take over the bar, the basement of Knuckleheads. They have that great room downstairs with its own bar and its own area, its own entrance, its own bathrooms. Uh, think, does it have its own bathrooms or do you have to go upstairs? I think you have to go upstairs. Yeah, I think so. But, but still, sure. yeah. we're going to have our own space to hang out and get odd, right. and we're going to do that. And all you have to do to come and be part of it is bring one unwrapped toy for Toys for Tots. That's all it takes to get in, one unwrapped toy for Toys for Tots, and you can come in and party with us. Uh, I know that uh, I've invited a number of paranormal investigators from the area. You know, last year, last year's event, we had Keith and Carl Johnson came, uh, Paul Eno came. Did Dustin Parry come last year? I don't know if he made it. Actually, he did. He showed up for a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've invited them again this this year. I, I don't know. Lacroix showed up. I heard from Amy Bruni she can't make it. So, Mister X works Friday night, so she can't get out of the house. Mm-hmm. But you know, maybe maybe she can pull off uh, some babysitter magic between now and then. But uh, anyway, if you'd like to join us, it's kicking off at seven thirty next Friday night at Knuckleheads Bar and Grill. I talked to Stony, who owns Knuckleheads uh, this afternoon. He's going to bring some of his oddities down. He he collects you know sideshow oddities. He's got stuff in jars and things of that nature. He's going to bring awesome. them all down. Yeah, we're going to have him I on heard, display. I heard his uh, his. Uh collection is quite uh quite good and we're gonna have yeah. it the oddities at odd fest too so what perfect what a right. perfect fit right and also we're pretty odd ourselves so uh we do have uh, our guest matthew brownstein on the line but first let's just take this call real quickly good evening you're on spooky south coast hello once twice three times a lady all right maybe there's somebody just trying to listen in via the telephone that mm-hmm. works too and for those of you watching on Spooky TV, you can also jump in the chat room. If you've never experienced a show before, we have a live chat room going on during the course of the show. Uh, that's at SpookySouthCoast.com slash SpookyTV. Uh, you can also tweet us during the course of the program at SpookySC. And you can email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. So, so many ways to get involved in tonight's discussion. And now let's get right into tonight's discussion with our guest this evening. Matthew Brownstein is the newest member of the Star Child Project team, which has been working actively since 1999 to prove the mystery of a 900-year-old carbon-dated bone skull that genetic experts and medical professionals feel could very well be another species not yet known to modern science. Matthew serves as the chief operating officer of the Star Child Project and has joined the team to help with the fundraising efforts to raise money to sequence the DNA of the Star Child skull. He works directly with Lloyd Pye and the entire Star Child Project team to create more public awareness of a skull that could truly change history as we know it. And he's also the executive director of the Florida Institute of Hypnotherapy and has been in the field of alternative therapies and alternative knowledge for over 20 years. As a hypnotherapist, he is also very familiar with the phenomena of hypnosis and alien abduction and the profound implications of what it would mean to prove alien life. And that's something that I know my co-host Matt Moniz will want to discuss with Matthew during the course of the program. But now let's welcome tonight's guest, Matthew Brownstein. Good evening, Matthew. How are you? Good evening. I'm doing great. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me on, and it's my pleasure to be here with like-minded folk. Oh, it's completely our pl- pleasure to have you, But and it's easy for me because I just have to call everybody Matt tonight. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> so for those unfamiliar, uh, the Star Child Skull, we've heard about this, and I, th- I think a lot of times people have uh, a rudimentary understanding of what it's all about, but this is uh, some, something that has been carbon dated as being 900 years old, give or take. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I'll give you a brief overview for some of your listeners who may not be familiar, and then maybe even talk to you about why I'm speaking to you tonight. There's so many topics, and I'm glad you have a long show that we can cover here. Basically, 900 years ago, about 1100 A.D., in the Copper Canyon region of Mexico, about south, 100 miles southwest of Chihuahua, a young teenage girl was, we'll keep the long story short, was exploring the mine tunnels there, and she found two skeletons, one that was clearly human, and we have that actual skull of that skeleton now, and she found another skull that was very, very odd. She didn't really know what she had. She held on to these for the majority of her life, and when she was very close to her death, she asked some friends if they would take these two odd skulls that she had. Um, basically, these people held on to them for about five years, and eventually gave them to a couple named Ray and Melanie Young. Melanie was a neonatal nurse at the time, so she had seen human deformities frequently. And she picked up this skull, and it was exceptionally light, very, very misshapen compared to human skull, but surprisingly symmetrical. And she just said, this is not a human deformity. She also was open to the concepts and the phenomena of UFOs and aliens, and she said, I really think this belongs in the head of a gray alien. And that was back in 1999. It began a quest, and we can talk about the whole journey, where they, the team, for about 15 years now, has 14, 15 years, has been actively researching and trying to prove what this is, and to date, the mystery absolutely still remains. We don't know what it is. Yet we're right now at this very moment launching our first major crowdfunding campaign to raise the money to sequence the entire genome of the skull. Once that happens, it will literally be the, possibly, it's arguably, but we believe, the first proof of another species that could easily be called alien. Well, I- I think, though, we should we should be clear for people, too, because there has been the connotation of it being called the Star Child Skull, but you're not operating from the perspective that it's definitely something extraterrestrial, right? Oh, correct. The only thing we'll be able to know for certain, and we have enough of the DNA right now that the genetics lab we work with, and when I speak with our chief science officer from that lab, and all of that needs to be non-disclosed for their their sake at this time, mm-hmm. um, yet every time I look at the evidence and I talk to them and I say, guys, I'm willing to be on board and I'm willing to put myself out there in the public, yet you know, you need to tell me that you believe that what you've sequenced so far is not human. And this is you know, current, up-to-date, 2010 to 2013 DNA research. And they can't tell you it's alien because they don't have another alien to compare it to. This would be the first possible sequence of its kind. Yet, so far, it's looking so so remarkably not human that we're looking at a range of anywhere so far, I was just looking at the data before the interview, about 50 to 90% different in its genome than a human being. And no other species that's been cataloged on the planet so far fits into that in any other way either. That's incredible to, to be that much not 
human. It's remarkable, actually. And even if it turned out to be human, which I strongly believe it's not, that's why I'm so into the project right now, when we look at some of the DNA that we have, we can go into some of those details, I'll be very general right now, I'm going to say that it is so remarkably different than human that modern science should be jumping all over this, and at some point they will, because we're going very public with our information that we're uncovering. Um, how could such a being even survive with a genome so significantly different than what you and I have? Um, that'd be a huge question, but I believe it's so far different from human, it's going to be, have to be categorized as another species. What we call that, uh, I think the genetics lab, the scientists at the time, will probably come up with a whole new scientific term uh, for what this is. Well, what's interesting about that, though, is when you look back at human history, at least recorded human history, as far as we know, looking back 900 years, it's not that far enough back in human history that there should be uh, something that wouldn't have been uncatalogued if it was known uh, to those who were living at that time. If you, if you get what I'm saying, you know, we're only talking about, uh, you know, the early 1000s when we have plenty of history that comes out of there. We have plenty of recorded history. We have plenty of stories, oral traditions that were passed down, written stories that were passed down. And so we should have written documentation if there was, say, this bridge species or this offshoot of the human species that was running around. You would think we would have some sort of catalog about it, of it. It is actually amazing to me, beyond words, that this one skull that you know our team has actual possession of uh, you know, that I could pick up and hold any day that I want to. Um, it's locked very safely away. But, like, literally I can stare and I have held it, and there's a picture of it, I believe, on your website right now of me holding the actual skull. When you look into those eyes and realize, and that's the first thing, just the intuitive, and for your listeners who may not be familiar, if you just go to starchildproject.com, you can see pictures and x-rays and CAT scans of the skull we're talking about, looking at it from different angles. When you look at this and realize it is the only one of its kind on the planet, the fact that I, as I'm going to call myself a normal human being, actually can have and look at and be part of the team that's sequencing the DNA of this skull, and like you're saying, like there, there should be other ones out there. It's remarkable that something so unique uh, is in the hands of, of human beings. Well, the... The fact that there is one, I mean, I just keep going back to that and, and, and thinking about uh, it just so happens that this is the one that we have, but it doesn't mean that this would have been the only one, uh, if it is extraterrestrial, that would have been visiting. It just so happens this is the one that has the skull that's left behind. Um, yeah, absolutely. The only thing we'll be able to say when the DNA is sequenced and it's all said and done, I mean, we have the first intuitive look, and people say, okay, this doesn't look human. And then we have 25 major physical anomalies that say, okay, this is not human. But then we have so much DNA evidence coming in, more than we can even sequence right now, which is why we need to raise the funds to even just sequence the data we've gathered. When you really start to look at that and you say, could this be the only one that's possibly out there? Yeah, I doubt it. Uh, yet right now, it's the no, nobody's ever been able to show us a skull that's um, anywhere near close to what this is. 
And, and you mentioned the, the campaign right now, which is uh, very interesting because through crowdfunding now, we're able to uh, donate in so many different ways and, and be a direct part of so many different projects. And this is phenomenal because this is a chance for people to directly help in the DNA sequencing and in the testing of this skull. And you have a chance for as little as, as $3 to get involved and, and be part of this project. And I thank you for bringing that up because obviously it's one of the major reasons that I'm speaking tonight is at StarChildProject.com. There's direct links to our current crowdfunding campaign. And there's perks for donating. You can get a T-shirt. You can even get copies of the actual skull, even life-size copies of the skull. It's exciting because for your listeners, who I'm sure are quite open-minded, if this is what I'm saying it could be, I know personally to be one of, there's only six members right now who are part of the Star Child team itself, um, to be this close to it, knowing that we can literally be making history. Like when you say, okay, we put a man on the moon, we show the earth wasn't flat, we're, I don't know how much we can say, we've proven some of the paranormal uh, concepts that you're into, but this could be the very first time we've proven what you could call alien life for another species. It's that far removed from anything on the planet that, you know, I'm willing to throw around the word alien, even though we do tone that down at times to be mm -hmm. more, quote, scientific. Um, any listener right now can be part of that history, even donating $3 um, all the way up to significant donations that are available on our crowdfunding campaign right now. Yeah, just to say, and even have your name on our website, to say, I was part of that history. Like, imagine if you helped donate for the Wright brothers to help to be able to fly or you help to get a man on the moon or whatnot. Uh, to me, this is that profound. Uh, and literally, and it's like this is like we say, okay, so there's this one skull, and all we can say is maybe nine, well, not maybe, it's 900 years ago. This being walked the planet, whatever it is, so we might not be able to say that there's gray aliens all over the place or there's reptilian aliens, or, but it does show at one time a being that was not human and not anything else we can catalog walked in the earth. And yes, right now your listeners have the ability to be part of that history, directly part of that. Well, I want to put out the challenge out there to all of the Spooky South Coast listeners, and we have thousands of people who download this show every week and uh, thousands of people who listen to us on WBSM. So all of you out there who do believe in the existence of life on other planets and have been looking for that proof uh, to be able to let the entire world know that your convictions are true, then uh, I challenge you all to donate at least the $3. But if you go to the Indiegogo.com website, uh, which you can get to right from the Star Child Project's website directly, which is linked up on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com, or you can get to it by going to StarChildProject.com. Click on the Indiegogo campaign, go to there, and see all the different perks that you can get. And, and some of these are really, really interesting. I mean, uh, for, you know, for just a, a couple of hundred dollars, you can get a life-size, accurate replica of the Star Child skull. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate you mentioning that to your audience. And I can tell you, having replica copies of the skull myself, which we use for promotion and lectures... I'll sit, maybe just lying there on the couch or whatnot, and hold the skull up about, we estimate it was about, the being was about four feet tall. Imagine if, if this were some other species other than human. And for those who are willing to say, okay, use the word alien, just imagine this being standing there, walking, living. Um, it's debatable about how it communicated, which we can get into all of the different details about 
why is there such compelling evidence? Why would someone want to make a donation? Uh, but when you actually hold the skull, the real one, which is very rare that someone gets to these days, or just a replica, which are available now through our crowdfunding campaign, and you just look into those eyes, it is, it's not scary. I actually feel, I'm going to go out so far and I'll say, a sense of almost love for this being. There's a sense of like, who was this? What was this being that walked this earth? But yes, to hold it, to look at it, to examine it, to look at the differences between it and a human skull, it's really mind-boggling. And yeah, for just a couple hundred dollars, depending on the type of uh, replica somebody wants, they can actually get that right from our crowdfunding campaign now. Well, what's interesting about that is we hear the stories of the crystal skulls, which uh, some of them were not sure of their origin, and and uh, some of them are believed to maybe be extraterrestrial in their nature. And you hear people who hold those and, and have that uh, harmonic feeling and that feeling of being put at peace and put at ease, and it sounds like you get a similar result from the star child skull. Well, actually, it's interesting. In the early 1999 to 2000, when Lloyd Pye, who's a major, major researcher and lecturer about the skull, and we talk about Lloyd and, again, why I'm speaking with you guys tonight, um, but he brought it to 50 different psychics, uh, mostly in the Sedona area. And uh, unfortunately, it was very unreliable what they were able to say through psychometry by holding it and getting readings. I don't personally hold it and feel anything, and I would call myself a deeply spiritual person at heart and totally open to the paranormal. Um, yet when I hold it, I don't necessarily get a feeling I might from holding a, a legitimate crystal skull. Um, but I get a feeling of, oh, my God, this literally could be maybe a hybrid of a gray alien. Uh, maybe actually our current genetic research says the father of this being and the mother of this being were not human. So I just wow. know I'm holding something, and literally, which is the more profound part, that could be the first time that human beings, literally in our lifetime, I mean, think about, uh, I would love for my children or grandchildren to be able to say, um, or I just like to be able to say, I was alive at the time that alien life was proven. Like, you know, everybody's waiting for the government to disclose it. And, there, you know, we've heard of the Disclosure Project, and it's probably not going to happen. The amazing thing about this one little skull it's just a very gentle way that once we sequence the genome, that the public can say, oh, I guess there's another species that is completely not human that's walked this planet. It's a lot different than Obama getting out on a news campaign and saying, okay, we admit, we know, uh, you know, or a UFO landing on the White House lawn. That could probably change society too dramatically too quickly, in my personal opinion. But this skull lets people start to open their minds more. And I'm very big on the raising of human consciousness and opening people's minds and letting them know there's so much more than what you see with your physical senses. But this is an actual bone skull. And it helps to bridge that gap, you know, with the concept of the UFO and the paranormal uh, and the alien abduction phenomena. Here's, you might say, like that missing link, that one piece of the puzzle that we've needed. And we have it right here now for 14 years. I've been trying to get one investor and that option is still open. Who would just donate? Uh, literally, it is millions of dollars that it takes to sequence this genome. And I can explain why it's that much money in case your listeners are all skeptical about that. Uh, but it is legitimately a very expensive endeavor to get into here. Um, the concept is that once that's sequenced, we're able to say 
this is it. This is the one thing that I believe will open so many people's minds to other realities. Well, I mean, I suppose we should address that that uh, issue of, of why you do need to raise the $75,000 on the campaign online, uh, because, I mean, that is a significant amount. But then again, here locally, you know, I just watched a, a, a Pop Warner football team raise $50,000 in four days to fund a trip down to Florida to play in a football game. So, uh, I mean, sure. I, it, that just goes to show that if you're talking to a worldwide community uh, to help support this quest, that, uh, that it should hopefully come pretty easily for you if if enough people who believe in the Star Child Skull are willing to donate. But what, why is it that, that goal of $75,000? Yeah, let's talk about that for sure. Uh, if it was only, I'm going to say only 75000 I would front the money myself. Uh, I'm, there was announced to the Star Child email list a Tampa businessman who came on board. And it was anonymous at first. Now I've gone public. Uh, but that's me. And if, I, if it was only 75000 I would front the money. That's only the next stage of the genetic testing which okay um so but let me i'll explain how it works if you and i living beings now wanted to sequence our entire genome it's about 3.2 billion base pairs huge amounts of data but computers can easily take from a cotton swab from the uh, q-tip from the inside of your cheek or a little sample of your blood and for very small amounts of money i've heard it down to like only hundreds of dollars at most ten thousand um, but DNA that's uh, live or even within 50 years old after death uh, can be sequenced at extremely small amounts of money. To give you an example, anything older than 50 years old is actually in the category of called ancient DNA. The Neanderthal genome, they were able to finally sequence, and that cost $6 million to do. So the current crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo right now we're asking for 75000 because the genetics lab said what we need to do is get this certain equipment running, and we need to hire a programmer to do this. We said, well, what's that going to cost? And then basically between giving my, having to buy the perks, like the uh, replica skulls, and then ship those out, we figured, okay, we're going to need to account for the, the perks, the rewards that we give back to our don- donators. But then we're going to have to give a good 50000 plus to the lab to make that happen. Uh, and then from there, we need to continue the fundraising. And the, uh, from the lab itself, the general quote is it's going to cost up to about $3 million to sequence the entire DNA. Um, the other, what we're looking for is actually a total of $7 million to be able to film every step that we do, including cameras from a third party in the lab filming every step of it so no one can question at all that what we've done was completely legitimate and then to make a full-length feature documentary film and to have that distributed worldwide because to have this genome is relatively meaningless but to have a movie that gets people excited to be able to see um, the whole backstory which I can talk to you more about and everything that led up to the moment when we made this history that's exciting uh, the reason it's so expensive is if you take your DNA, my DNA, imagine it's like a string of Christmas tree lights. And if you threw it on the floor and then took that and basically threw it into a computer to sequence, it'd all be lined up, no problem at all. That's why living DNA or less than 50 years old after death is relatively inexpensive. As soon as it starts to decompose, it's still there. All the base pair sequences exist, but it's like taking the Christmas tree lights 
throwing them into a wood chipper and then having to put all that all that scattered information all the base pair sequences are basically the majority are still there uh, and according to our genetics lab they're basically telling us you've got completely viable dna we can sequence this entire thing uh, but to plug it through our computers will literally cost you millions of dollars mm. and you know the price has gone down over the years so we're still talking millions of dollars it's very important for your listeners to know nobody in this project is in it for the money. Uh, everyone who's been on board has been a non-paid, including myself, non-paid volunteer and has never made a cent. In fact, I've donated thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to get the team to where it is today, where we can finally start to raise the money to make this happen. Because trying to find one person who would donate about $7 million over 14 years never happened. Yet now with crowdfunding and with the current abilities for DNA testing to actually sequence this entire genome, we're literally ready to make history. And like you said, if enough people hear about it and enough people get on board, even at $3 donations, we can change history. Well, and I'm reading some of the comments on the Indiegogo page. And as much as people want to support the project and and support the sequencing of the DNA of the skull, uh, so many people are donating just in support of Lloyd Pye for all the years of dedication that he gave to this project. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you bringing up Lloyd's name because he's so worthy of acknowledgement here. Lloyd was the one who was first given the skull as the caretaker from Ray and Melanie Young. They said, okay, you seem qualified to, we don't have to go into all his qualifications, but basically he was qualified to run with this to figure out what this was. He was actually a researcher in Bigfoot and Sasquatch and Yeti. Um, he knew if they ever found, we'll just use a simple term, a Bigfoot, he had a whole protocol of what to do, and he was an expert in skulls. And he could look at any primate skull and tell you what it was and all the details. He looked at this skull the first time he held it. Again, he was so surprised by its lightweight, its symmetry, all the differences that you could tell just right away if you understand skulls. Um, he ran with this whole thing for 14 years, up, up to today and while his family has asked me not to disclose very much at this very moment unfortunately Lloyd is most likely going to be moving from the physical to the non-physical um, basically he's um, at the point of hospice care right now uh, he had a very aggressive cancer that uh, came about him being very into alternative treatments chose a, a semi-conservative um, still some chemo type of route um, not to get too into his condition, but just to say that it looks like, unfortunately, as hard as, as it is to say this, that he's lost, he's losing the battle, um, which leaves me and the others on the team in a position now where we've just made a commitment to Lloyd, and we said, look, you got us this far. You've been lecturing for years. You've been getting in all these radio shows for years, and uh, you know, he, he went through personal bankruptcy for this. I literally believe he pushed himself all the way to his absolute limit he believed in one of his most recent emails to me when our genetics lab came back with a little bit of information I didn't understand. It made me start to question it. And, you know, any one point can make you skeptical and just throw it out the window. Uh, but I've researched this enough to say, and you can hear the way I'm speaking, I'm convinced this is what it is. Um, but when I did send back to what we're calling our chief science officer, the major scientist at the genetics lab, 
I said, look, I don't understand every detail of DNA at all. Um, all I can tell you is I need, all I can ask you is I need to hear from you that you believe that everything you're looking at, that this is not, uh, not a human species. And the response back was we would not at all be involved at all to the level we are if we didn't think it's what it was. And I was like, that's all I needed to hear. And then Lloyd wrote back in that email stream, and these are kind of, I want to say, and he's still alive at this moment, so I don't want to talk as if he's passed away. But um, one of his emails to me, and it's just as clear as day, one simple sentence, he, said, he says, the star child skull is alien. Like, that, that's it. And I don't want to say it's his last words, because it's not. Uh, but it's one of the few last emails to me, and Lloyd has pushed for 14 years to prove this. And uh, it's, we're not done yet. You know, the Dean's genome is not sequenced, uh, yet all of the CAT scans that you can see on starchild.com, the, uh, starchildproject.com, uh, the X-rays, scanning electron microscopes, all the different anomalies that we can discuss depending on time permitting, um, almost all of that was because of Lloyd Pye contacting different medical professionals, different people in their respective fields, like the optometrist, the dentist, the craniofacial reconstructive surgeon, the brain surgeon, talking to everyone, including Genetics Lab over the years, and doing the DNA testing, if it weren't for Lloyd Pye, we wouldn't be here today talking about this. Well, I, I do want to give our thoughts and prayers uh, to Lloyd, and, and hopefully that transition can be a peaceful one for him. But uh, and certainly to have the project carry on his his belief uh, is definitely important. One of the problems though, that arises a lot when discussing the char- Star Child Skull is there's been a lot of, uh, I guess we could say disinformation. Mm-hmm. put out there and there's been a lot of spin put out there like if you for example not that you should ever trust anything that you read on wikipedia mm-hmm. but if you look at the wikipedia page for the star child skull it's completely combative with everything that you're saying and it's completely coming from the perspective that it's a that it's a human skull and that's been proven to be such um thank you for bringing it up because it's so worthy of acknowledging what can happen is somebody who's new to this will go and Google Star Child Skull. The first thing that will come up will be our website, and the next thing, or even above us sometimes, you see Wikipedia. And most people click in Wikipedia and actually trust what Wikipedia says. It's really important to understand what's there. What's there is the 1999 DNA tests, which our current lab has said is conclusively proven to be contamination and wrong. And I can go into so many reasons why the 1999 tests have to be completely thrown out. In 2003, some of the tests were mentioned there as well. Those tests were somewhat accurate, although a good portion of it, they couldn't recover the nuclear DNA of the star child skull at the time, which in and of itself is very interesting to discuss. Um, But when you look at the, and this is what took me, if you go to the website, all the information is there. It took me months to study this, to convince myself that what's on Wikipedia is completely wrong. But I had to talk to the Star Child team, uh, the geneticist connect directly connected to the team, um, Dr. Ted Robinson, who's one of the doctors who's been on board the whole journey since 1999, who actually had the skull, went to the first DNA lab in 1999. I actually have him on film. I just did an interview with him, with him telling me, that lab did the best they could with their best intentions, but they were incapable, like literally the lab couldn't do it. They were incapable of sequencing this type of DNA, meaning DNA over 50 years of age. 
um, this being 900 years old, they literally didn't have the technology to do it. So what's in Wikipedia doesn't show the current research that's on StarChildProject.com. And then, unfortunately, there's a Yale University graduate physician, I won't mention his name out of just respect, um, who never held the skull, never examined the skull, refuses to look at any other evidence we come up with. And when we did come up with evidence, Lloyd Pye actually sent it to him and said, you know, you need to look at this, what you're saying about the skull. And basically what he's saying is the skull is hydrocephalic, which means that this being, this he would say person, had water on the brain. So hydrocephaly is basically when the cerebral spinal fluid doesn't drain out of the skull and it causes the skull to expand. Anybody can go to our website and look at a whole web page about the phenomena of hydrocephaly. Anybody taking five minutes to look and just examine the evidence will see this is not a human deformity. It's not any human deformity. So to call it hydrocephaly is, which is what's on Wikipedia, is completely wrong. Um, there's the other concept that it could be cradleboarded, which explains the flattening in the back of the skull. We have completely ruled out, and I have Dr. Ted Robinson, a cranial facial reconstructive surgeon, and a recent neurosurgeon who I just sat down with a few months ago who will go unnamed. Um, he didn't want to go public, but I said, is this any human deformity? This is a brain surgeon. Have you ever seen a skull like this? Have you ever seen a human deformity like this? And the answer was clearly no. So thank you for bringing up the concept. Just basically anybody who's listening, please, I hope you can hear the sincerity in my voice. Trust what's on starchildproject.com. And completely, even though I know it sounds almost blasphemous to say it, don't trust Wikipedia, at least when it comes to what's said about the Starchild skull. Well, and on the StarChildProject.com website, without even getting into the uh, different conditions that you're discussing, which are all up there, and, and really, you should spend the time, anybody that's listening, spend the time to go through the website and to read these pages uh, and all this information. But there's twenty-four a list of 24 anomalies between this skull and, and any human skull, and, and it's beyond just what some of these conditions would call for. Uh, so, some of these... Anomalies between the two are very, very significant, and including just the structure of the bone itself. Mm -hmm. Yes, if you take the time to look at all of those, and I'll, I'll mention a few right now, uh, but again, like you said, there's a good 24, 25 different anomalies. Those, for anybody with an open mind, would say right away, this is not human. If you want to call it alien, you know, that's, that's just a word. But this is not human. Those 25 points really should make that clear for anybody with an open mind. However, you take that to any hardcore scientist, and they will say the only way you can stack up, Lloyd Pye was told, you can stack up 10,000 of these differences, and I will tell you that nature can do anything until you show me the DNA, which is like the mathematics of biology, I will not be convinced. We have enough DNA now, and you can look on the website and see that, and it does take some time to really... Take the time to look. Um, but honestly, I'll tell you, uh, I was talking to my, my own mother about this, and she's like, you're into this kind of, you know, she knows I'm into out there things, but she didn't know that I, I'm actually you know, the current caretaker of an alien skull. Um, <laughs> so she said, all right, well, you've told me enough. And she said, I'll, I'll give you $20 to figure out what it is. <laughs> so even my mother is not into that. said, you know, I don't need all the data. You've told me enough to say, um, I'd be willing to donate $20. To me, that meant a lot. But um, 
let's talk about the 25 or, you know, a few of the 25 differences, if that's okay, if we have the sure, time. Sure, absolutely. Okay, great. Uh, one of the major things, of course, is how light the skull is. We have the female skull that was found next to it. Um, so it serves as a great comparison because they're both carbon dated at 900 years old. And they're both relatively the same size externally. Uh, but when you hold them, and it's, it's incredible, you put the human skull in your left hand, and it feels heavy if you've ever held a human skull. They're pretty solid and heavy. You hold the star child skull, it's half, literally just about, uh, you know, almost, almost exactly half as light. When you feel the difference alone right there, something stands out. But thinness of bone and lightness of bone, like an osteoporosis, um, isn't necessarily something to say, okay, this is a uh, non-human species. The bone has been proven in many different ways to be, we estimate, about two to three times stronger. And if you look at the CAT scans, which is the most profound way to see this, it is two to three times thinner. You can even look at just the cut, bone cuts that we have. We have one segment of bone where you see the human skull being nine millimeters thick and the star child skull being three millimeters thick. So it's uh, about half, let's say two to three times lighter, two to three times stronger, and two to three times thinner. Just that alone is interesting. One thing that's fascinating, right now anybody who's listening could feel on the back of their head, if you pull up on the back of your neck, you'll hit a bony ridge. It's called the external occipital protuberance, or the inion for short. It's where all your, or a lot of your neck muscles basically connect. And it's a relatively large structure because you need some pretty strong, like your trapezius muscles, connect to this thing called the inion. Every human being who's listening right now, I, I'm willing to almost guarantee, has an inion. If, you have, if you're a primate with a neck, if you walk upright and have a skull, basically, you have an inion. The star child skull doesn't have an inion. Just that right there should floor most listeners who are willing to consider that it's, uh, you know, I've done my research to, it might be possible to not have an inion, uh, but it is so uncommon. So that's huge. There's no inion on the star child skull. In fact, there's an indentation, there's a slight indentation, but all the natural convolutions are there. The important thing to know when you consider these differences we're talking about is that its genes told it to grow this way. It's not a human deformity. Um, the other thing that's fascinating, and then we can talk about what the implications of this might mean, every human being, or actually, let me take that back, I've done further research, almost every human being, so we're talking like 99.99% of human beings, uh, or something like a lot, <laughs> the majority of human beings, have what are called frontal sinuses. Your sinuses are not what most people think that are just when you get a cold and they fill up and you have trouble speaking. I heard you talk about that earlier. Uh, your sinuses are to resonate the sound of your voice in your skull. The star child skull does not have frontal sinuses, and you can see this in the x-rays. It's the most profound thing. If you go to the star child, it's starchildproject.com. If you just go to the website and look at the x-rays, you will see the human skull, and again, the skull that was found right next to it, it has clear sinuses, clear cavities in the, in the cranial, in the skull. The star child skull doesn't have these, not even vestiges of it. If it was a human deformity, most likely you would see that the genes tried to get it to grow, mm -hmm. but that they didn't grow, or they would be asymmetrical and deformed in some way. 
they're completely absent there. Sinuses are for resonating voice. We also have the upper maxilla, the um, upper jawbone of the star child skull, or the upper right part of it. It's completely flat. If you feel with your tongue the roof of your mouth, you have a curve. It's, it's an arch inside your mouth. The star child being basically that mouth had a completely flat roof of the mouth. It also has an extremely small neck. You can see this the way the neck muscles join and the foramen magnum where the spine goes into the skull. So we're looking at a very, very small neck, uh, which means it may not have had a voice box, but that is speculation. If it had a tongue at all, because the roof of the mouth, basically your tongue fits there. So this either had no tongue, but again, that's speculation, or probably just a very small tongue used for maybe flipping back food. Um, and then one other point, and then I'll tell you what I'm getting to. If you measure the cranial capacity of the skull that was found next to it, like how much brain actually fits in the skull next to it, it's 1,200 cc's. Uh, this is typical of a woman who would have lived about five feet tall in Mexico at the time. Uh, most of us who are listening right now, uh, like let's say you and I, I would guess, um, average male, uh, present day, you're looking about 1,400 cc's of brain capacity. The star child skull being the same external size of the female skull that was found next to it has 1,600 cc brain capacity. It is significantly bigger brain. Wow. If you add that up, very large brain, um, no frontal sinuses, possibly a tongue that wasn't meant for speaking, and a throat that was so small it probably didn't have a voice box. Add those four up, and it's only speculation. Well, I know exactly where you're going, though. Is this being probably communicated through, tele, uh, through telepathic communication, there's a very good chance it didn't speak. But again, that's speculation. But that gets me excited about it. Oh, me as well. I mean, that's uh, as, as soon as we started discussing the lack of the sinuses and, and, and what the implications were of that, that was my immediate uh, thought was that it was something that didn't need verbal communication. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have, because we have the upper right jawbone, it had teeth. And it, it lived in this planet and it ate. Um, and we can tell different things about the teeth, but they're fascinating in and of itself. Um, the differences in there's let me just go into it for a moment. There are unerupted teeth in the jaw. Now you usually find that in children, right? The baby teeth descend, and the adult teeth are going to be there, and eventually they'll descend. What you find in a star child skull is the wearing of the teeth shows that this is an adult. You can take it to any dentist, and you look at what's called chipping and crazing. And they would say, these are the teeth of the adult. The molars are clearly as strong and well-defined as adult teeth. But it still has layers. You can see the x-rays. I believe they're on the website, but we definitely have the x-rays of this, um, where you can see it almost looks like the way sharks have rows of teeth. Um, and I'm not a dental expert, but uh, having spoken to the team and looking at this over and over from different points of view, it looks like it has the ability for multiple layers of teeth to come through, which could possibly mean that the being was designed to live a much longer lifetime. 
but yeah, knowing that it had teeth, it was on the earth, it lived clearly with at least this one other woman, uh, and they had some type of bond. The fascinating part of the story, and we didn't really get into the all these little details, yet when the two skeletons, and the entire skeletons were there, and they were found, the star child skeleton was buried in a very, very shallow grave. The female skeleton was not buried at all. The right hand of the star child being was wrapped around the upper arm bone sticking out of the dirt of the female. Now, if you think about how that could have happened, and it's speculation, but it's hard to think of any other way, most likely the star child died. The woman, whoever she was in relationship to him, yet the DNA shows it wasn't its biological mother. Could it have been like a surrogate mother or uh, in vitro uh, based on the alien hybridization concept? Maybe, but again, well, we can go there later if you want. The concept is she carried this very light dead body up into a mine tunnel, which is where it was found, buried the star child skull, cared about or the star child, the whole body, cared about this being enough to wrap the its hand around her arm. Now, she wasn't buried, so she couldn't have just laid there until she died. Uh, most likely, she committed suicide right there. It's the only thing that really makes sense. Mm. Uh, if you take that story and just think about it for a moment, and this is why I said I kind of have this feeling of more like love and caring for this being, it's because I believe this woman who is found next to it deeply cares for this being, whatever it was. And that kind of goes back to some of the indigenous, Native American, and Mesoamerican um, themes, including uh, the modern-day abduction themes well, of star beings. Let's, let's definitely pick that up in the next hour. We do have to take a break for the news, Matthew, uh, but we'll definitely pick that up in the next hour. All right, we are going to continue our discussion with Matthew Brownstein of the Star Child Skull Project coming up in the next hour. Stay tuned after the news for more here on Spooky South Coast. WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz broadcasting live both on WBSM and on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, where you can jump into the chat room and discuss tonight's topic of discussion, the Star Child Skull, as well as whatever else is on your mind. The conversation in the chat room always goes in all different directions. I want to say hi to everybody in the chat room tonight. And uh, Spooky TV, for those of you who are unfamiliar, it's also available on YouTube if you want to check out some of the past archives. We've been having a lot of trouble here in the studio yes. with the production of Spooky TV over the last couple of months. So the YouTube videos have been kind of lacking. Yeah, it's been going pretty good today, though, I feel like. Do, do you think it's the computer or do you think it's the internet? Oh, I don't know. It could be a number of factors. I'm thinking, Why can't it be both? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking maybe we should do one of these Indiegogo campaigns 
to get some spooky TV yeah, equipment. Might be a good idea. And see if maybe, you know, because we always say to everybody out there, if you'd like to help us put on spooky TV, you know, we, we'd appreciate any donations. You can donate Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com via, via PayPal. But maybe if we started an actual campaign, then we could get people behind it and we could see if we could increase it. I mean, I don't want to take away from, you know, promoting the Star Child right. campaign that we're, we're talking about tonight. But... I'm just saying maybe it's something that we could throw out there coming up in 2014 to maybe see if we could up the ante a little bit on Spooky TV. Right. I could uh, have some fun with uh, some new equipment to play with. And and do you miss being over here? Because, you, you know, you're over there now running the Spooky TV. I, I got some buns over here. As long as I have buns to press, I don't care. I mean, I figure you're over here like all morning tomorrow. Yeah. And you were over here all day today. Yeah. So it's a nice break. Yeah, I got a little bit of a break earlier today, so I figured I'll right. I'll push the buttons. I'm getting punchy from punching all these buttons. It also started, you know, because you kind of like just you know went on the lamb for a while. I did, and yeah. I had to come over here and learn how to do this. <laughs> kind of threw me to the wolves a little bit, but actually, actually, I can't. He spent like six years, six and a half years training me. So it's, it's on me when I couldn't do it. All right. Uh, if you would like to call in at any point during tonight's program and ask questions of tonight's guest, Matthew Brownstein, of the Star Child Skull Project, you can do so by calling 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420, if you would like to call in toll-free. And you can also tweet us at SpookySC, email us SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, or you can jump in the chat room on Spooky TV. At SpookySouthCoast.com. So many ways to get involved in tonight's discussion. But Matthew, before the break, we were talking about the way that the Star Child skull was found, the way that it seemed to have been protected uh, by the human that was a uh, human woman that was over it. And you said that this is something that's seen in other cultures? Yeah, well, not necessarily the exact scenario of how the Star Child skull or that being was found. Uh, yet in many different cultures, and Depends on where you research this and how skeptical the author is. But those, again, like I'm sure your listeners and yourselves, are open-minded. And there are legends all throughout indigenous cultures in uh, North America, South America, that basically talk about beings that would come down from the stars. And the concept was a communication to the local tribe that they'd say, you know, basically one of the women, usually a woman who had never given birth before, uh, never had a child, was going to be impregnated with one of theirs, one of the beings from the stars, uh, that the tribe needed to care for this being and raise it like its own, and then in about five years later, they would come back to pick this up again. Um, for many years, uh, hearing these different legends, and then with the DNA research that came out in 2003, which said that the star child skulls mother was human. We've since proven that to be not true. Um, yet at the time, that evidence came out and said, okay, it looks like the mitochondrial DNA, which comes only from the mother, that that's human. But they couldn't find at the time in 2003 the nuclear DNA after, I believe it was five to six repeated attempts for the female skull found next to the star child skull. We could find the mitochondrial nuclear DNA no problem like any other human being who would have died 900 years ago. With this skull, it's extremely hard, not impossible, or we wouldn't be doing this, but extremely hard to extract the DNA. After about five to six different attempts, they couldn't get the nuclear DNA, uh, which made us say something is a nuclear DNA. DNA comes from your father and your mother. So basically the concept is 
we don't know who the father, what the father is of this. And that brought up the concept that maybe this was a hybrid being, and we're still open to that hypothesis, uh, that is similar to the star being legends, that uh, dad wasn't necessarily human, but mom could very well have been human. But again, our current research and what the genetics lab is telling us is, look, the DNA we're looking at here, which has been checked against the National Institute of Health, it's the database that stores all of the genomes of every species that have been in sequence so far uh, here in the United States. And basically, uh, and it's important if we're talking DNA for a moment, to understand every, by everything on the planet, anything that's living, is going to have DNA. Like, for instance, those of us who are here now talking human beings, we have this same basic DNA as a banana. 50% of our genome is going to look just like a banana, 20% um, like yeast. And uh, depending on what other species you look at, we will definitely share very similar parts of the genetic sequence. Um, with the star child skull, we do show that some of it matches up to human. Yet when we, and we sent it into the National Institute of Health and we came back through their BLAST, called the BLAST system, uh, it's an acronym, but basically what comes back was part of it was, okay, this is basically chromosome number one, we know what this is. But then we started sending in other pieces of the genome. It kept coming back as no known significant similarity found which, you know, right away was just incredible shocking news for us. I mean, not shocking because we know what we have, but to have the National Institute of Health say we don't know what these base pair sequences are is significant. We have enough of that now to say mom and dad aren't human. So this is this a star being? We don't know, but it, it was certainly supporting some of the legends at one point that this could be part of, and what we have now to this day with the alien human hybrid concept of women who have been abducted, taken on board ships, and which we can go into, it does actually reflect a lot of the star being legends as far as like the timeline of when things are happening. And that's, that's something that I, I do want to address because we're talking about it being possibly not of this earth, but how it got to be here is is a, a key question, and that's something that I don't think we will, will be able to answer. Even if you can map the entire genome of it, you're not going to know the how and the why. You'll only know the what. Exactly. There's some things we can know, and we're doing another site right now. I want to give the URL out because it's not done, but we have our current site is lean, geared more towards the science. Uh, but, you know, we, we're in this project, uh, honestly, if we, if we thought it was human or just an odd human, I don't think those of us who are into this would be that into it. Uh, we have another site we're developing that's catered more towards the alien hypotheses. And there's different things about the skull that really make us feel that this being very well could have functioned in zero-gravity environments. Uh, and two of the things, we're talking about the physical differences, one is the eye sockets. When you look at, and of course, if you just think about a gray alien, just kind of visualize that in your mind if you want to. Um, if you look at a normal human skull, and if you put your finger into the eye socket, it goes in about two inches deep. At the same point, if you put your finger in, it goes in only about half an inch deep. So you're talking about extremely shallow eyes. And when we look at these eyes, we've had multiple artist renditions to try to reconstruct it, and um, it's all speculation, so none of it is accurate, but some of them are clearly showing 
the almond-shaped eyes that you would see in the typical gray. Um, that type of eye, you know, why would we say that that functions in zero gravity? The only evidence we have that in zero gravity environments, the eye socket gets more shallow is actually astronauts. Astronauts that are out in space long enough come back and they show the eye socket is actually getting smaller. So that's interesting. The other concept, we have this in the CAT scans, you can clearly see it, it's all on starchildproject.com, is the inner ear of the star child is twice as large as a human being's inner ear. Uh, just that alone you know, makes you say, well, what is that? You know, what, what kind of deformity produces an inner ear that's twice as big? Again, if you picture a typical gray alien, there are no outer ears. Um, but the inner ear isn't just for hearing, it's largely for balance. Mm -hmm. So what you have is this very large head on this very small body. We can extrapolate that based on the size of the frame and magnum, the hole in the, for the neck where the spine goes into the head. We're probably looking at end the description of the being when it was found being very small. Uh, so if you look at a really large head, kind of imagine a golf ball on a tee. Uh, and it's perfectly centered, by the way, a human skull most of your face is in front of your spine. In the star child skull, it is basically the spine is right in the center. Uh, it's a completely different design when you look at the eyes, the ears, the spine, just completely different across the board. Uh, but those two things, the inner ears based on the ability to balance a head like this and possibly, um, I don't remember exactly, I have to be honest, but our team is starting to, with the different scientists and experts we work with, start to speculate, and there's others who can speak better than this than I can, about why the larger inner ear can relate to zero-gravity environments, uh, but certainly the concept of the eye. So no, we can't really ever, I don't think, say where this being came from, uh, but what we will be able to do is say we have something that's not human, and just that enough to me, and that's exciting enough. And certainly, uh, we, we can make those speculations, though, uh, in our own mind of the idea of this hybrid being. And it's it's something that uh, we discussed in the past here on the show is if they are visiting and they are coming here on a regular basis, then that would be a potential outcome, a potential reason for it. Uh, but again, as we said, it's all speculation. We do have a, a phone call uh, on the line for you, Matthew. And if anybody has a question for our guest matthew brownstein of the star child project you can give us a call 508-996-0500-877-996-1420 good evening you are on spooky south coast with matthew brownstein do you have a question for matthew yes uh, dr mazzoli i he i just cut him off he's found dozens of skulls and skeletons of neptulans in south america like in paraguay are you familiar with with that work Hang on one second, because I accidentally cut Matthew off, which I think is weird, because I had him locked oh. in, uh, so I should have been able to mm -hmm. to uh, conference him. Uh, why don't we take a break? We're going to try and get him back on the line, and uh, I will try and keep you on as well. And we'll oh, here he is. He's coming back on. Now we should be able to conference. No. Uh, why isn't it conferencing? Um, yeah, Matthew here got disconnected. Yeah, I was trying to uh, I was trying to be able to conference both calls together. And uh, for some reason, I wasn't able. But the question was, Matt, do you remember, Moniz, do you remember the question it had to do with? Uh, finding Nephilim skulls, I think, is what the caller had spoken about. He said that Nephilim skulls have been found in Mexico? 
Um, yeah, I believe what he's, uh, the listener is most likely referring to are the elongated skulls that are usually referenced to be found in Peru. Uh, and a lot of the speculation is that those are Nephilim skulls. Um, that would definitely be speculation. However, the Star Child Project team is involved in the project um, in, in various ways. I won't go into all the details, but we're very familiar with the elongated skulls found not only in Peru, but really all over the world. Uh, and they are working to try to sequence the uh, DNA of those skulls. Unfortunately, they're much older than and much more degraded than the star child skull, which was really very well preserved in the mine tunnel it was found in. Uh, when you look at the elongated skulls, they're called coneheads, basically. The conehead skulls uh, predominantly found in Peru. Uh, a lot of them look very different, but the cranial capacity of those we talked about, the female skull that we have is 1,200, the one that was found with the star child, 900 years old, uh, is 1,200 cc. An average living human, again, as I was saying before, is about 1,400 cc. The star child, 1,600 cc. These skulls that some people are saying, these conehead skulls could be Nephilim, meaning um, well, let's not go too into all the details of that, although I could. Uh, this, the cranial capacity of some of those skulls, and it's not from head binding. This is like legitimate. This is the way the genes told it to grow. We're talking 2,000 to 3,000 plus cranial capacity. Um, and the speculation of what that means about having that much brain power uh, goes back to who built the megalithic structures on the planet, who had the intelligence to cut and move blocks of stone that big, um, who were, you know, when referring to Nephilim, usually you're referring to the concept of the gods or the sons of God that had interbred with the women. So again, you have the concept there of this hybridization or interbreeding concept. The star child, to our best knowledge, the star child skull is not in the realm of Nephilim or the elongated skulls, the conehead skulls of Peru. Um, as I was saying earlier, it actually, to the best of our knowledge, is the only one of its kind in the planet, at least um, in the public's hands. <laughs> I think the government probably has some of these on their own. Uh, on their own. But once we prove uh, that this is certainly what it is on the genetic level, meaning a genome that's clearly different, I believe others are going to start to come out of the woodwork one way or another. You know, people are willing. You know, and it's, I can tell you, our genetics lab, like, they will not go public until this genome is sequenced and scientifically validated over and over again to be what it is. And again, we're talking here because it's only through the public's help that we can raise the funds to do this through our current crowdfunding campaign, the starchildproject.com. Uh, but anyway, yeah, a lot of the answers about uh, these other beings like Nephilim or the, if well, we want to relate those to the Cohenhead skulls of Peru, uh, they are working to sequence the DNA of those. Uh, unfortunately, that's going to be harder. The star child is hard enough, but we can do it. The DNA is absolutely viable. Now, my co-host, Matt Moniz, uh, is, is a scientist. He's a analytical chemist. And, and, Matt, I know that you were saying off the air that you had the chance to uh, speak with Lloyd Pye and to hold one of the uh, replica skulls in the right. past. That is correct. I got to hold one of the replicas that they're selling, and I got a chance to close, let's use the term closely view the uh, star child skull and i spent a couple of days with lloyd and uh one of his associates susan uh very Sorry, nice it's guy. actually very hard for me to hear matt so uh, maybe you could repeat anything that was said there or you could speak like a per- normal person on the radio into the <laughs> microphone there you go okay <laughs> that better 
I'm much better, yes. Okay. I had the chance to meet with Lloyd a couple of years ago, spend a couple of days with him and uh, his associate, Susan. And I got a chance to hold one of the replica skulls as well as closely view, that's the way I'll phrase it, the the actual star child skull. And uh, I have to say it is a pretty amazing uh, skull when you get to really look at it closely and how how much it really does differ now uh there being a chemist i i'm i'm very interested in how things are put together chemically and there are a couple of items that struck me there are various fibers within the skull that help it bind together and the way that the bindings are happening are are a bit quite a bit different than what happens in human skulls mm-hmm. and um it it definitely is one of the let's call it uh it, it's it's hard to, if you've never seen the skull up close for yourself it's hard to explain to somebody else that its texture definitely looks different than a human skull okay the the way the bone is shaped the color of the bone, uh, the way the various pits and smooth surfaces. It definitely is a, a, a unique look to it. Would I be wrong in saying that, Matt? Um, you're absolutely correct. And I feel like I can elaborate on a couple of those points. Um, I don't know if there's more you want to say or I can go into some. No, go right ahead. Sure. So uh, on the surface, uh, what you're talking about, there's definitely discoloration, yet we need to acknowledge that the skull was buried mm-hmm. where the skull found next to it wasn't. And that explains some of the discoloration. Yet, putting that aside, if you look very closely, and I think these pictures are on the website. We just rebuilt the website, so eventually everything we have, our, our policies, everything we have goes public. So I definitely have pictures I can look at of what are called the cunei. On the surface of human bone, if you look pretty closely, it's very easy to see, there are holes, and the holes basically are where veins go in and out so the blood can supply um, the skull. And they're very clear. There's these little holes all over um, a human skull looking closely enough. The star child skull doesn't have these, or if you look closely enough, you see the tiniest little remnants of them. But like you're saying, just looking on the surface, the bone is very different. And the lack of lacunae, just like lack of frontal sinuses, lack of inion, these are significant differences. Then if you, as you were talking about, zoom in with a scanning electron microscope, which we've done and we have pictures of, it's not just like a mental visualization. You're talking about some actual uh, images that we have. There's two major differences deep inside the bone that no chemist or mycologist, no scientist of any field has ever been able to explain to us. And one is what you're referring to are these very strange fibers. We only have black and white images of them from the scanning electron microscope. They're embedded in the matrix of the bone. And when we cut into the bone with a Dremel blade for the DNA testing, uh, first of all, a normal Dremel blade has a very, and this cuts through normal bone like butter, when you try to cut through, and this is what makes us believe the skull is so strong, one of the things, you try to cut through with a normal Dremel blade, actually one of our geneticists in 2003 who tried to cut through it, the blade literally bounced off the bone. It was that strong. Mm. So in the attempts, I think all three attempts, as far as I know, um, over the years, it's been cut into multiple times, unfortunately, Uh, but they had to go to a diamond-tipped Dremel blade just to cut through the bone. Uh, when they looked at the 
sliver of that, when they put that under the scanning electron microscope, they saw that these fibers we're talking about, which again, no one has ever seen in any other skull, and still to this day, the Star Child Project always says, hey, if somebody knows what these are, tell us, but nobody's been able to do that thus far. The blade didn't cut these fibers. They were so strong, they were only able to tear them out of the bone. They're still intact, and if you zoom in close, you'll see something we call the claw. It's just one of these fibers that is literally, you see, it looks like rebar inside of concrete. It's like and almost like a Velcro type of look. The internal structure of the bone is really just, com I don't want to say completely different. There are similarities. There are what are called cancellous holes, like the spongy inner part of the bone, um, the holes where the blood marrow and the uh, the the marrow and the blood move through, you can see inside of there that that exists. But when you go close enough inside the bone and you see these fibers, again, there's nothing like it on the planet. The other thing inside these cancellous holes, deep down on the microscopic level, is a red residue, which has never been found in any skull like this, meaning anything of this age. If you took our skull right now, you know, a living being or someone who just passed away, and you looked into the bone, you would see there'd be fresh red uh, bone marrow and blood. But after 900 years, there's bacteria inside your body, and then, of course, everything that's outside of your body that deteriorates your body away actually very quickly, and the bacteria devours all of the blood and bone marrow, so there's just nothing left. Inside of these cancellous holes is this red residue that no mycologist, meaning a scientist who studies fungi and bacteria and molds and spores, and nobody has been able to tell us what this red residue is. And we actually, because nobody knows what these fibers or this red residue is, we don't actually know what technology could be used to actually extract it and to figure out what it is. Um, so yes, it contributes to the possible strength of the bone, and as you were talking about there, Matt, the incredible just uniqueness of the skull. I was going to say, you can see photos. If you go to the StarTrialProject.com, you can see close-up uh, microscope photos and, and see exactly what Matthew's talking about with this red residue. Now, my question is, has there been any uh, chemical chemical analysis done on the bone? Have you been able to determine the actual chemical structure? We have been able to. There's one chart. When I got into the project, I started devouring every bit of behind the mistake. And there's really not much behind the scenes, but uh, I was just, like I said, send me every single file, every single image. And in the Star Child Essentials ebook, which is available on the website, uh, you can see this picture. It's an image that shows the primary chemical composition of the bone. Um, and um, correct, I, I'll say, correct me if I'm wrong, or just excuse me if I'm wrong. Uh, but there's three major components is going to be. Calcium, phosphorus, mag. Yeah, I haven't thought about this in a little while. There. Uh, also, salt. What I'll do, and it'll be worth taking a moment. I can most likely pull up that chart for you. But they, we have done studies of this, and it shows lower levels of, I believe, calcium and phosphorus, which, or, yeah, we should pull this up. But technically, that's what makes the bone stronger. What I found in this chart, to be honest with you, because I've been pulling this apart left and right is it contradicted a little bit. It actually shows that the bone should be weaker for some reason. So it's somewhat inconsistent, but um, when I asked where did this image come from, how did we get this information, 
Uh, it was done so long ago, I really couldn't get specific details. So the simple answer is not much information has been gathered. The information I could gather didn't really support or cause all that much, to be honest. Um, but that doesn't mean we didn't put it out there publicly or they haven't been putting it out there publicly. Uh, so, yeah, I apologize. I don't have the exact chemical composition on my mind right now. But uh, that information is in Star Child Skull Essentials ebook um, on the website. Now, you're talking about how those fibers have gone, are interwoven through the skull. Now, one of the detrimental effects of zero gravity is it causes bone degeneration, at least in humans. Mm-hmm. Could this be something that helps offset that type of condition? This is speculation. Speculation, again. Um, But certainly we do know from other ways that I haven't even mentioned yet that the bone is definitely stronger. Um, So, you know, to say it's lighter through something like osteoporosis where the bone has worn away or the way an astronaut's bones would become weaker, this bone is significantly stronger. Uh, Yeah, I would have to guess between the fibers and other different things that we've tested to show that it's stronger it's stronger if that's for zero gravity i don't know but um zero gravity if it was there definitely didn't make it weaker that's for sure we are talking with matthew brownstein of the star child project you can go to the website starchildproject.com if you'd like to find out more about the skull and also how you can help make a donation to help in the sequencing of the DNA and, and helping map the genome of this skull so that you can say that you were part of this. I mean, if this turns out to be something not of this planet, this is your opportunity to get in uh, and be part of the research to prove that to the world. Why don't we take a break? And when we come back on the other side, Matthew, I do want to get into some of your work in the hypnotherapy field, too. And uh, especially as it may relate to the alien question, because my co-host Matt Moniz has uh, has also been involved in that aspect of research as well. And I'd like to just hear some dialogue between the two of you on that. And we'll talk some more about the Star Child Skull and any questions that anybody has, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. You can also... Tweet us at SpookySC, or you can email us SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll be back in just a moment here on WBSM. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. Hello. Hey, man. Hello. You up? No. Wake up. I need to talk to you. I think your house is haunted. Hey, come on, it's 2.30 in the morning. I can't sleep in here, man. I'm scared. Welcome back. Tim Weisberg here with you, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And uh, for those of you who would like to actually get out and explore the world of the paranormal with us, we have our next great Legend Trips event up for sale now. It's Dead of Winter 2014, happening at the Lizzie Board and Bed and Breakfast this coming February 22nd. Your opportunity to come and spend the night with us in the extremely haunted Lizzie Boyd and Bed and Breakfast. We'll have the whole house to ourselves. You'll get dinner. You'll get lectures. You'll get some of the best pizza that Fall River has to offer. Mwah. Awesome. 
and, and the Cherise Pizza, man, it can't be beat. So you will get a, a phenomenal meal, lectures, a, a guided historical tour of the house, and then hours of investigation on each and every floor of the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast. And every time we go there for these Legend Trips events, something seems to happen. And it seems like the last time we were there, the activity was getting a little bit on the uh, aggressive side. Yeah. So uh, we'll be experiencing that, I'm sure, again, this coming February. But as we say, we can't guarantee you a ghost. We can only guarantee you a good time. If you would like to join us, you can go to legendtrips.com. There's only about 15 tickets remaining for this event. So you can pick them up there. They're $135 per person. And we also have the opportunity for you to get rooms at a special rate. Rooms will be on a first-come, first-served basis. So the people who bought the tickets first will get first crack at the rooms. But they are available to you at a significant discount if you decide that you want to stay the night. And, of course, that's because your room won't be private until the conclusion of the event at 2 a.m. So just go to legendtrips.com if you'd like to get involved with that. And speaking of Legend Trips, Legend Trips is one of the sponsors of Oddfest 2013, which is happening this coming Friday night, Friday the 13th, at Knuckleheads here in New Bedford, Massachusetts. So if you're listening from all over New England, it's worth making the drive, not only to come and party with us at Oddfest, but because Knuckleheads has a phenomenal menu. And on a Friday night, man, they're going to be cranking out some of those seafood specials. So you want to make sure that you get down there. Matt Costa, I know that you've eaten at Knuckleheads uh, oh, yeah. on a few occasions. Moniz, I don't know if you've had the chance, oh, yeah. but uh, a lot of people like to go down there for the $5 steak dinner. And uh, for some of their other, some of the Portuguese fare that they offer. But, you know, if you're coming down for Oddfest, make sure you bring some money with you and, uh, and don't eat before you come down because you're going to get a phenomenal meal there for a good deal. Uh, all, all we're asking is that you bring an unwrapped toy for Toys for Tots and you can get in. There'll be a cash bar and the kitchen will be open if you want to. You know, order yourself up some food. So we're just we're just giving you a place to party for the night. That's that's what we're doing. And it was generously do- generously donated by Stony and the crew over there at Knuckleheads for this fundraiser. So we thank them for that, and we hope to see you all this coming Friday night. It all kicks off at seven thirty, and it goes until Stony tells us we got to get the hell out of there. <laughs> And knowing Stoney, he's not going to be pushing either. <laughs> he's going to be down there hanging out with us. And, uh, and, and really, I, I should probably just put this out there for a lot of people who are coming from outside the area and might be a little bit worried about coming down here and, and, and hanging out at a bar that they've never been to before. There's no safer bar yeah. than Knuckleheads if yeah. you're going to come and have a party. This place is full of retired police officers and prison guards and people in law enforcement. That's who runs this place. That's who owns this place. That's who hangs out in this place. You will not have a safer time than you will have this coming Friday night. I mean, except for the fact that, you know, you're dealing with creepy Moniz down there, you know, uh, putting his arm around you. And that's only the guys. I mean, you know. <laughs> so we can only guarantee your safety from, uh, from the non-paranormal crowd. But come on out and hang out with us. It's all for a great cause. All to help Toys for Tots. And uh, we will take your donation of an unwrapped toy, and we will give it to the local community right here. And there are a number of needy families here this holiday season. So let's see what we can do to help them out. Now let's get back into the discussion with our guest, Matthew Brownstein, the COO of the Star Child Project. And we are talking about the Star Child Skull, but also, Matthew, in your other capacity, you are the executive director of the Florida Institute of Hypnotherapy. And... We have talked uh, on a number of occasions here in the past, myself and, and Moniz, about regression therapy and, and how there's been a number of cases of alien abduction that have come out of that. Have you actually encountered that in some of your work? I have, actually, and I've encountered it enough that when, you could say ironically or interestingly enough, uh, coincidentally, but I don't think it's an accident at all, that the star child skull came into my possession, into my life, and became part of the team 
part of why I was so moved by that is I've seen the absolute and heard the absolute terror in people's voices and in their stories when they've been abducted. And sometimes it's, it's hard to say, are they making it up? Sometimes possibly it's a metaphor or it's an out-of-body experience they don't quite understand. But there are times when you hear the very typical, and you know, those of us who've been in the field, I've been doing this for 17 years, you can tell the difference. And when you hear the absolute terror and the, the descriptions that are so similar to anybody else who's had the legitimate experience, um, yeah, I've seen it myself. And so when the Star Child Skull came into my life, like, okay, this is, this is helping to prove what I've been hearing my clients, you know, not every client, of course, but I've been hearing my clients say for over, over 17 years of being in the business now. And I, I know that, Moniz, when you've done this work, it's usually people who have come to you with an issue. Right. Uh, I usually deal with them after they've basically had the cork unpopped or they, they, they know. Um, and I've been in, in the room on a number of occasions where people have gone through regression and heard the stories come out of their own mouths. And uh, it, it's very eye-opening when you're actually there to hear it. Now, Matthew, in, in your experiences with it, um, and obviously, you know, now working with the physical evidence of this with the star child skull or what you believe to be the physical evidence of this uh at first though it must have come across as uh being somebody who is a, a hypnotherapist and who's trained in that regard you must have immediately tried to find alternative explanations for what these people were describing well my experience um, as far as the experiences of what abductees or people who start to claim it's like when the regression sounds like it's going in that direction uh, personally, and this is a paranormal show, so I can definitely speak openly about this, I've been into the concepts of out-of-body experiences, astral projection, uh, for years and years and years. Uh, I can't even tell you how many times I've personally been out of my body and just completely believe in that phenomena without any question. There's very similar experiences that people have during out-of-body experience. They will report that their physical body is paralyzed. You hear that with the abduction phenomena strange energy moving through their body, same thing with an out-of-body experience, um, the feeling of being lifted up, floating, that you hear, uh, other beings around you. I had a client once saying, it's like they're looking into my brain, and that's like the telepathic communication. I'm being brought up, I'm on this table, they're all around me looking at me, but she never, you know, we, we don't lead. Anybody who's well-trained would never say, oh, is it, you know, you're looking at a gray alien, you would never ask such a leading question, you just say, okay, what else do you see? What else do you feel? What's happening mm -hmm. next? And at the end of this one session I'm referring to, I said to this woman, uh, she was four years old, and, and she's remembering this in the regression. Um, that's when the event happened. And I said, so what, what do you think that was? And you know, I definitely try not to ask, uh, but she was actually a student, and you know, I was, uh, again, an instructor. So there are other students in the room, and so I just said, you know, did you feel like this was an out-of-body experience, or were you feel like you were like abducted? This sounds like an abduction scenario. And she said, No, no, there were no you know gray aliens or anything like that. But everything else is the same. I've uh, interviewed and talked with abductees, and this relates to the star child skull again, questioning the nature of the phenomena. Um, to say, were you physically taken out of your bed? 
or were, was it just an astral projection type experience? And the abductees, the ones who say that the greys literally came and took them out and you know, other beings, it's not only the greys that would be accompanying them at times or on the ships, there'll be other beings that will report as well. Um, but they usually consistently, from my experience, say it is a physical experience for them. Um, but to me, I relate it as a multidimensional experience. And I can't personally say it's all 100% true, although I've heard it enough to say, okay, there's something going on. But I think that's the way to look at it, that similar to the concept of entity attachment or, as you guys are obviously very into, um, the concept of ghosts or the paranormal in that way, uh, or the concept of you know, possession or any of these things, just to deny it flat out, right, just because it's out there, I think is very myopic. It would be very naive. I've seen enough of these regressions and interviewed enough of these people to say there's definitely something happening. And again, the reports are very consistent. Well, when you are, um, you know, when you are watching somebody go through this and when you're uh, experiencing this almost alongside with them as they're remembering it, uh, I'm sure that more often than not, it's a traumatic experience for the person. But then we're trying to attach, you know, scientific explanation to who these beings are. Can we attach scientific explanation as to why they're doing what they're doing? I don't think you can do that from almost to any point of view, honestly. When I, even when you interview abductees and you say, uh, you know, where are these beings from? Tell me about their crafts. You usually can get that. But when you actually ask, uh, why are they doing this? A lot of the abductees have basically said, you know, I don't know. Um, and so all of it, unfortunately, is not only subjective reports, but when you relate it to hypnosis, you know, uh, honestly, when someone's in a hypnotic state, the subconscious mind cannot discern fact from fiction. It's a highly imaginative mind, a highly emotionalized mind, and this doesn't say that there aren't aliens abducting people. It just says that when you're in hypnosis, that's not the best time to try to discern truth. People think hypnosis is truth serum. It's actually not at all. Memory is a mixture of uh, actual events and imagination, and uh, it's called confabulation. You can just mix multiple memories, including things you've seen on TV, into one memory. So it's not to say that this isn't happening, because I believe it is. Uh, but it's to say, when to answer your question about scientific, I believe, honestly, hypnosis can't, uh, like, for instance, hypnosis wouldn't hold up in a court of law. So it wouldn't hold up scientifically. And the star child skull, as wonderful as it is to have this physical evidence, uh, to me, it really doesn't support the abduction phenomena. But if it is an alien-human hybrid, if we end up somehow proving that, it's leaning towards the concept that, okay, these people, these thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have been claiming to be abducted, uh, maybe they're telling the truth. Mm. Well, we are uh, discussing the Star Child Skull with our guest, Matthew Brownstein, and we are talking about also this campaign that they have to help raise the funds needed to take the next step in the DNA sequencing and, and, and mapping the genome that is uh, comprising the skull. And you can do so by going to their website, starchildproject.com. And when you go there, you can click on the Indiegogo link and you can see the actual campaign and how you can donate now. There's 35 days left to hit the goal uh, of 75 
$5,000, and you're on your way there, uh, according to the donation tally there, and there's a number of different perks available for those who donate, and you can start with a donation as little as $3, and uh, hopefully somebody out there listening in our audience will, will give one of the $5,000 donations as well uh, that are available there as uh, one of the packages, but... As you were saying, Matthew, earlier in the program, this is just the next wave. There's still going to be much more to be done, but this is a chance for people to feel like they've contributed to this. And uh, when everything is finally all said and done, and if this is proven to be extraterrestrial, you could play, somebody out there could play a significant role in that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yes. Again, thank you for mentioning all that we're doing, and I'm happy to talk about these very interesting topics. Uh, yeah, when it comes down to it, it's, you know, for, for us, those of us who are believers in this, those of us who have... I know as a child lying in bed, I would open my eyes and there would be, for lack of a better term, uh, or there are better terms, uh, that there were ghosts in the room. There are clearly non-physical beings in the room or astral beings in the room, and it was terrifying to me. I've never seen an alien myself, but I've definitely seen what I would call ghosts. And for those of us who've been open to a reality beyond the five senses, um, it's we want proof. We want to be able to. And an abductee would love to be able to say, what I experienced was real. And so, yeah, anyone who's listening who feels motivated. When I got into this, when I first, I made, the way I got into this is I would look at all the evidence. And I said, you know, this is overwhelmingly compelling enough. I'm going to make a donation to the Star Child Project. And I did. And it was a generous enough donation to get the attention of Lloyd Pye, who's the major uh, leader of it at the time. And he uh, emailed me back directly, and I was literally like a child jumping up and down for joy. I was like, oh, my God, like Lloyd Pye emailed me, Lloyd Pye emailed me, and I was very excited. Yeah. Um, we started having conversations about you know, how I might be able to help. Um, and just when I started realizing, my God, I could be part of proving alien life, I can be part of that history, I can be... The government may know about this, but this is in the hands of the public. It's the only thing like this. I mean, maybe the cone heads, but I think they're very terrestrial. This seems like it could absolutely be extraterrestrial. And anybody on the um, our current crowdfunding campaign, one of the options is to be a supporter, I believe it's called, where your name can be on the website or you can choose to remain anonymous. But I love to know, and, you know, I do risk my reputation by going public with this, uh, but it's that important to me. Uh, it's that it's it's um it's a feeling when I mention when uh, Lloyd first made contact with me, and I realized, my God, I could be a part of this. There was a feeling inside, looking at the skull, and the words were, "I need to know." So we actually now have these "I need to know" bracelets that you can get as part of the uh, the perks from the crowdfunding. Because if anybody's been into this type of stuff, you've seen a ghost, you've seen a UFO, you believe in any of this. You'd want to have some sense of proof, and you know, like EVP phenomena is, is wonderful. Um, but to me, the genome of an alien skull is proof beyond anything, uh, as far as I can tell, of what's just going to open the minds of so many people to say there is another reality besides what your five senses are seeing. There are other beings that exist besides. But it's in Shakespeare, there's more in heaven and earth than are dreamed up in your philosophies. And if this can open the minds to that many people, then yes, as you're saying, and I definitely want to again, uh, please for your listeners to just make any level of donation, even $3, just to say you've helped to contribute to this. Uh, It really does mean that much to me for sure. 
Well, I, we do have a call on the line. I'm going to see if I can do this without losing you this time. <laughs> All right, I'll call back at least. All right, we'll see if uh, if I hit this button here. Oh, no, that to put it's in in-dump mode. Let's see what happens here. Okay. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast with Matthew Brownstein. How are you? Hello, are you there? Do you have a question for Matthew? Well, I was able to conference the calls together, just nobody was on the line. <laughs> so there, we, we made it through one step of the process, Matthew, anyway. Uh, well, good job. I'll be happy to keep talking to you um, about whatever you want about this. Well, one question that I do want to ask you, because you mentioned something there that, that caught my attention, seemed seemed particularly interesting, is you mentioned that as a child you had seen what you would call ghosts. And my theory is that those of us who can experience those are probably operating on a somewhat different wavelength uh, than others who can't. Uh, we're, we're kind of a little bit of a higher awareness, and that's why we're able to tap into something that's happening on a plane other than our own. And I'm wondering if you feel that that connection, and, and, and if, that, if that might be the case, if that might be why you're having these feelings when you're holding the star child skull, and when you're in its presence, when, when you are around this object and why you're drawn to it, do you think that that might be the fact that you might be operating on a little bit higher brainwave than it's calling out to you? I absolutely acknowledge that there's an expanded level of awareness that some people function from, where you've gotten out of your conscious mind, you've opened up to the concept of a subconscious mind, a feeling mind, an empathic level of mind, an intuitive mind, and then even to the point of psychic mind or the ability to be clairvoyant, clairsentient. Uh, I've definitely trained myself in these ways, yet as a child, being naturally open to that, these things were terrifying to me to see, so I actually chose to close that down to a degree. Mm. When it started opening up again for me when I was about 19 years old, I couldn't deny anymore that there was a non-physical reality uh, and that lying in bed and literally seeing the room while my eyes are still closed, as if you might say looking through what's called the third eye point. Um, and I know for some for some listeners, you're like, oh, I know what you mean, or I've had that experience. Others might sound that's crazy. But again, that's what the Star Child Project is to me. It's the way to help people to open their minds and say, it's not so crazy. So um, to answer your question, I do believe I'm a bit more tuned in to these type of things, and it's part of why I was invited into the Star Child Project, because they first introduced me as the businessman, the one who's going to put the infrastructure together to get the crowdfunding to happen. And that really, there's members on the team who... I don't have to mention their name, but who definitely deserve tremendous credit for helping us to get here as well. But uh, without me coming on board, we wouldn't actually have all of the infrastructure needed to be actually raising the money we are right now. So they were first kind of seeing me as just the businessman, but then people who were on the email list were saying, have you guys gone corporate? Have you sold out? And they kept saying, like, well, Matthew hasn't disclosed his name yet. Trust me, he's one of us. You know, and what they really meant was, <laughs> He's into all this weird stuff, just like we are. Uh, but also, you know, he's functioning as a down-to-earth businessman with a very good reputation, on, uh, up until I'm going public with a star child. But, uh, you know, an, uh, really an impeccable reputation in my field as a leader in my field. Um, but you know, part of your question was, when I held the star child skull, uh, was it kind of a psychic level of feeling, I think is what you're asking, I actually don't think so. And just like I was saying earlier in the show, 50 uh, people who would claim to be true psychics, which I don't really, I wouldn't claim to be, held the skull, and they all reported in the concept of psychometry to get impressions. They all told different stories. And unfortunately, 
that didn't hold up on what you would say maybe a scientific level. If they all told the same story, that would be very interesting. I don't personally hold the skull and feel anything except for going back to what we were just saying. It confirms when I look into those eyes that, my God, there's so much, like I know there's so much more going on in this universe besides what my five senses can show me. I absolutely believe in almost anything non-physical you can mention. I have no problem acknowledging exists. Uh, but to hold something physically like this, the feeling isn't like a psychic connection. It's just more of a, this is the real deal. And the fact that I'm holding it, and I'm, I'm going to say I'm a relatively average person. You know, as I don't see, I, you know, I'm a human being. And I'm sitting here holding possibly the only alien skull. And I say possibly because we haven't proven it 100% yet. Uh, but I'm possibly sitting here holding the skull that what could have been inside of a gray alien. That's the emotional thing that moves me, if you Absolutely. think about that. And we want everybody to donate right now, if you can. If you're listening to this via podcast or live, go to StarChildProject.com. And even if it's just as little as $3, get involved. And, and hopefully, if this is proven to be alien, you can be somebody who helped contribute to that. Matthew Brownstein, thank you so much for joining us. And please keep us up to date with everything going on with the campaign and with the Star Child Skull. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate everything you did. Thank you, the other Matts who are here, and thank you to all your listeners. Um, this is truly a wonderful thing, and I'm, I'm thrilled to have been able to share it with you. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again real soon. Very good. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. And uh, again, StarTrialProject.com is the website. It's also linked up on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com. We are just about out of time for this week. We hope to see you all this coming Friday the 13th at Knuckleheads in New Bedford for OddFest 2013. Come on down. Just bring an unwrapped toy for Toys for Tots, and we can all get odd and maybe slightly tipsy together. It's a good way to help usher in the holiday season. So until then and until next Saturday night, I'm Tim Weisberg from Matt Costa from Matt Moniz, and we want you all to stay spooktacular. <laughs>